God, you have done so much for us. We can never repay you. But what we can do is we can walk with you and we can begin to know you better. And this morning, I pray as we reach into the text that you would help us to walk in the joy of our salvation. I pray that we would have hope. I pray, God, that for those that are here this morning that are struggling to find purpose, struggling to find a direction, struggling to find hope, that this would be a life-feeding experience for them. I pray for those that are excited to walk with you, that they'll see another dimension of your power in their lives. And I pray as a church you would help us to understand how the text and how the Bible helps us to fuel our mission and where we're headed as a church. So God, just be with us over the next few minutes. There's, there's so much power in the Word of God. And I just pray that it will seep into our souls and our lives and change us this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it appears as though, though it didn't seem like it this weekend, that life is getting easier. Um, yeah, I know, it's a bad weekend for that. But I was driving here this morning and it was, I don't know what time it was, but I just spent, you know, 45 minutes in my driveway and I'm driving here and everybody was stuck, you know, and I'm going like, this is not going to be good, but it isn't easy sometimes in Minnesota. But other places, life seems to be getting easier. We have cell phones that are really computers that 30 or 40 years ago would have taken up a space the size of a house probably. We have Christmas presents and groceries that are delivered right to our doorsteps. We have ways of connecting that we've never had before. We can Zoom call somebody across the world and just have a conversation with them or do it on, on FaceTime. And we have all these different ways of making life easier But the question is, is life really better? Because the numbers show us that Minnesotans are losing hope. And if you look at these numbers, this is a study that was done by the Trust for America's Health and Well-Being. It was published in the Minnesota Post in, in November. And here are some numbers that help us to understand where people are, even though we are So advanced with technology, Minnesota's drug, alcohol, and suicide death rate may rise by 37% during the next decade if current trends continue. That's 37%. And if you keep going here, that's a stunning increase, but it's not as large as the 60% increase projected for the nation as a whole over the next decade. And then nationally, Drug overdose deaths tripled between 2000 and 2015, with a total of 52,400 deaths in 2015. Rural communities were particularly devastated. Their drug overdose death rates increased sevenfold. Americans, Minnesotans, are losing hope. And one of the reasons that that rural number there is one of the reasons that we're, you know, we're exploring the idea of of reaching out to some of these communities and helping them revitalize churches and plant churches there. But it's not hard to see that all of this technology and all of our quote-unquote connectedness is leading nowhere when it comes to finding a purpose for our lives and finding hope. This was probably what it was like in the church of Colossae before Epaphras delivered the gospel to them. They had no hope. And they had gone to a life of great hope 
because of the gospel. And so Paul and Timothy, as they wrote this letter, were just joyful and full of gratitude for where they had come. But they were also fearful that false teachers might get in and destroy what God is doing. And so for us, the question today would be, as we look at this text, as we look at the word of God, will we allow the gospel to inform our lives? The good news of the gospel is amazing. You can't really find hope in, in, in religion, per se, or in politics. I hope you figured that out by now. Or in, in children that are perfect, or the perfect spouse, or a better marriage, and all this stuff. No, you find hope in Jesus Christ. You find hope in the good news of the gospel. And so this morning, I want to help you understand what the key is, and how to pass on the key to a life that is transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and informed by it. So take your Bibles, if you would, to Colossians 1, beginning in verse 3. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can just take the one in the seat back in front of you, or you can use the Ridgewood app. All the texts are there. And it's page 983 if you want to use that Bible here that we provide for you at the church. Colossians 1, 3 through 12. So Paul here is working with his scribe, Timothy. They're writing to this church, which is kind of a small outpost. It had once been a major city in the Roman Empire. It had kind of shrunk down. It was surrounded by these massive neighbors like Ephesus, Corinth, Thessalonica, Philippi. But Paul loved this church. And even though he wasn't the planter or the pastor, he had gotten such great news from Epaphras that he and Timothy we're just so incredibly thankful for them. And so what he wants to do in this section is he wants to emphasize that he is praying for them. He's going to tell them how grateful he is. And then he's going to pray for them that they stay away from false teaching and that they just walk in a manner worthy of their calling. And so let's take a look at this together, beginning in verses 3 through 8. The gospel was transforming Colossae, verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so you have this apostle that neither planted or pastored this church, but loved this church, oversaw this church, Epaphras was probably the pastor. He's praising the pastor and he's saying, I'm so thankful for you and what God is doing. So the first thing we need to understand as we review this text together is that Paul's prayer recognizes God as the giver of all good gifts. Paul is directly pointing this thanksgiving to God because he knows where it comes from. 
And his hope is in the power of God. His hope is in Christ. And so as he's thanking God for this group, he knows exactly what and who made it happen. And so he was seeing them transformed by the gospel. And he's excited about that. And so you see these words here that I want to just take apart for a moment. In this passage, you have these words, faith, hope, and love. And these are words that are favorites of the Apostle Paul. He uses them often. They're a triad of words. And if you look at 1 Corinthians 13, 13, for example, it reads, So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. In 1 Thessalonians 1, 3, we always thank God for you, remembering before our God and Father our work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. In our Lord Jesus Christ, faith, hope, and love. He, he sees this developing in the Colossians, and he wants to thank God for it. So let's take this apart and see how this applies to us. First, Paul understood that faith is a gift from God. And so as our lives are being transformed by the gospel and informed by the good news of the gospel, faith is developing in us. Faith is a, a marker. That, that word... Faith is a Greek term called piestis, which means to be persuaded that something is true. But the root of that word is all about obedience. So not only are we intellectually assenting to that or being persuaded to it, we are backing that up with obedience. So true faith in Christ will naturally result in obedience to Christ. And so we can't separate faith and obedience. We can't say, yes, I love Jesus. Yes, I'm a Jesus follower. Yes, I believe what the Bible says. And then live a completely different life from Monday through Saturday. That's not biblical. And this is where we have a problem in America regarding cultural Christianity. Because so many people, you go around and you say, are you a Christian? Well, sure. Do you believe that there's a God? Sure. And they may even be able to specifically outline some of what they've heard in church. But if it's not being backed up by a life of obedience, then they, they could ask the question and should ask the question, do I really have faith in Christ? Because faith is the result of a life that is being informed and transformed by the gospel. Secondly, Paul talks here about love. Love is a gift from God. When these saints love each other, he is so excited. He uses this term, loving all the saints. And Paul is, a, is this incredible kind of um, barrier breaker. He, he doesn't want barriers in the church. He wants to break down all of the walls so that the gospel is available to everyone. And so he was a pioneer in saying no. Yes, you can't, you can't keep the gospel with the Jews. You've got to bring it to the Gentiles and others. If you look at his writing that we'll run into down the road here in Colossians, Colossians 3.11, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, who were these kind of nomadic tribe people, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. So Paul is offering the gospel to everyone, and we need to be about 
the gospel getting into everyone's hands. Paul is saying there are no economic barriers with the gospel, slave or free. There are no cultural barriers, Greek or Jew or barbarian, Scythians, whatever. It's for everyone. And the way race in America has become this divider, I've got to tell you that racism has no place in the church of Jesus Christ. And we need to repent. I know I need to repent of of, of racism because it rears its ugly head at times in different ways. And we must understand that all around us here in the Twin Cities, that every church has a mission that's specific to its neighborhood and, and where God has placed it. But we can't ignore the fact that the Twin Cities is becoming ethnically diverse. And Paul is saying the gospel is for everyone. He's saying, I love you, Colossians, because you love all the saints. There's no division in your church. There's no ethnic lines. There's no economic lines. You're all together. And so that's the love that is coming out of this life, faith and love. And then Paul Paul understood, too, that for the Colossians and for us, hope is a gift from God. Hope. We all need hope. Minnesota needs hope. Those numbers don't lie. And you, and you talk to our school officials, you talk to our law enforcement officials here in our town, and they'll say, yeah, we are desperately trying to catch up to these problems. But they're really having a hard time. Because hope is in short supply. And so, in verse 5, Paul is thankful for their faith and their love. And, he says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So here's what this means. Paul is watching them, and he's seeing them progress in the Christian faith. He's seeing them become sanctified believers. He's seeing these godly traits arise in them, and he's looking at that as an apostle, and he's saying, that is so good because they are headed for an incredible inheritance. I'm so thankful for the hope that they have in the future and in what God will do for them. And if you look at the Greek here, it's so obvious that term laid up means in store or reserved for you. And so their eternal future was absolutely secure. And it's hope for the future that allows us as believers to tackle any trial that comes into our lives. Because we are not from this world. We belong to a different kingdom. We are citizens of heaven. Larry Norman, the pioneer of Christian rock, you know, you love him or hate him, but he had that great song, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. And it was so true to the time. Ephesians 1.14 tells us that we are sealed by the Spirit, the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. You are sealed. You are delivered. You don't have to live in fear. You don't have to lay in bed at night and wonder what's going to happen when I die if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And if you look back to the culture that Paul lived in, these people were staring down incredible persecution. Nero was a terrible, horrible guy. 
And I love when I, when I read Twitter or something, and not that I would spend a lot of time on Twitter because I'm a pastor, but when I'm just glancing through Twitter and so forth just to make sure I'm up, on, up to speed on our culture, um, I see people, Christians, complaining about how hard it is to be a Christian in America. And I'm thinking, are you really serious? I mean, these Christians were facing Nero. Their, their friends and family were being lit as lamps on the side of the road. They were used as entertainment in the Colosseum. Paul himself was beheaded. And he's saying, the hope that we have is not in this temporal world. It is in what's to come. And so, if you keep your eyes on eternity, if you look to that meeting with Jesus someday, then you can overcome anything. It's not that it's not painful and that we don't have real concerns. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is if we think that this world's going to offer what we need, then we're going to be constantly disappointed, constantly hurt, constantly frustrated because this world is not for us. We don't belong here. Don't fall in love with this world. This world's not your home. Engage it. Be part of it. But don't fall in love with it. If you do, you're going to miss Christ. And Paul didn't want that to happen. And he's telling them, you can have this hope. And in the end, when we think about being sealed by the Spirit, that brings this kind of hope and peace that I'm talking about this morning. And, and for you that aren't sure about where you stand with Christ, don't you want this kind of hope? Don't you want this kind of peace and knowing that your life forever is in granite because the Holy Spirit has sealed you as a, as a stamp on a letter for salvation? Do you, do you want to have this knowledge that God is at work in your life? then I, just, I would just implore you to explore Jesus Christ because this is where that hope comes from. It's the power of the gospel. And the gospel was changing the Colossians. This is, so, this is such a good letter because this is a healthy church. And the gospel was transforming them. So he's thankful and he's glad that all of these things were happening. But now in this next section here, 9 through 12, he moves from thanksgiving... To petition. So his, his letter shifts now in its emphasis. If we look at 9 through 12, thanksgiving now gives way to asking. So he's going to not pray about them. He's going to pray for them that the gospel will be displayed in their behavior. So look at verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy." giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's now praying 
for them. He wants them to understand that your salvation is worth living for. It should transform your life. And here's his basic prayer for them. Paul prayed for their deep wisdom and an understanding of God. And this is so hard to attain in our culture. We are just skating on the surface in our culture. And those that want to go deeper can, but not many seem to want to. Paul is saying, I want you, Colossae, I want you to go deep. And he used two key words here in verse 9. Filled and knowledge. Filled in the Greek suggests a filling out to completeness. And the latter, epinosis, suggests a deep understanding. And so it's this idea of Understanding the completeness of God, what he's done for us, and his depth of majesty. Paul wanted that for them. And then he wanted them to understand that it's not by human intellect that we understand all of this. It's by the work of the Holy Spirit. The human mind can only understand so much the Spirit enlightens the believer in 1 Corinthians 2.5, he said, So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God, and from the word of God. And so God, his will is revealed in the Bible, and the Holy Spirit brings it to life. And we can understand, we can make a clear analysis of it, and we can apply it to our lives if we are willing to soak ourselves in Scripture. If we see Scripture as authoritative, if we are believers that are willing to make the commitment to learn the Bible, then the Holy Spirit will bring it alive to us and help it to be applied to our life. And so if you want to be wise, if you want to be understanding, if you want to be navigating through life, then the Bible will help you do that. But you need to go deeper. Don't settle for this nonsensical life principle Christianity that's being taught all over the place. Grab a Bible and read it. Start in the book of John. Start in Matthew. Just start reading it. And let the Holy Spirit speak to you. And before you open it, just say, Hey, Holy Spirit, will you please help me to see something in here that will change me? And He will, because the Holy Spirit inspired the men who wrote it. And the, and the real thing that Paul wanted to have happen here is he wanted them to understand all of this because he wanted to help them walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And so here's what he's saying. I want you to be pure to your faith. I want you to be enlightened by the Holy Spirit. I want you to understand the things of the Bible, the things of God, so that you can walk in a manner that is worthy of your calling in front of non-believers. And in light of people who want to attack you. And for Paul, this idea of walk is just, it just it's personal conduct. It's, it's knowledge. It's wisdom. And it's consistent with the Lord's teaching. Paul used this terminology a lot. In Thessalonians, he encouraged them to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. To the Ephesians, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Philippians, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And if he was writing to Ridgewood, Ridgewood, 
Walk in a manner worthy of me so that you can impact your city, your community, our city. But we're not going to impact our city if we're not walking in a manner that is worthy of our calling. This goes right with Jesus' teaching about being lights to the world. He said in the book of Matthew 5.16, Jesus said, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Paul is exactly tracking with this. And remember, Paul knew Christ based on their meeting on the road to Damascus. And so, though he wasn't a disciple that walked with Jesus, he had this personal encounter with Christ, and he knew the disciples. He knew exactly what Jesus had taught. So walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, it goes back to this idea of having perseverance, patience, and love, and it's what makes our lives hopeful and joyful because they're being informed by the good news of the gospel. And it really becomes a matter of what are you taking in? Are are you just soaking in cultural stuff all of the time? Here's a convicting question for me. How much binge television watching do you do? And compared to soaking in spiritual things, reading reading a book, reading reading the word, praying. And I, and I hesitate to bring that up because then everybody gets guilt, you know, I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm just trying to say what are the percentages of what's coming into your heart and soul? Because what Paul is saying is hide the word in your heart. Let it, let, let it change you. I have this thing. I'll be sitting there on Sunday morning, and if you see me paging through my phone, I'm not texting people most of the time. I have, unless I'm mad at somebody, and then I'll be texting Rick up there going, turn the mics on. No, they, I never, we never have that problem. But I have promises here, and I just open my notes up, and there's all these promises of God. And when I'm sitting there going, this like I got nothing here or this is going to take a miracle to have anyone understand this or whatever it is. I just pace through the promises of God. And then I'm assured of the fact that God is with me. So when you hide the word in your heart and then you get frustrated or angry or afraid, then you have something that you can refer to and you can say, yeah, I get that. That will help me. That's part of walking in a manner worthy of the calling. So Paul is praying now for these believers. He's praying for understanding. He's praying for their walk, that it would be worthy of the Savior. And now he's talking about fruit. There is much fruit that comes from a gospel-powered life. He wanted fruit to come from all of this. He wants fruit to come from Ridgewood Church. He wants fruit to come from your life. In verse 10, That you bear fruit in every good work and increase in the knowledge of God. A fruitful life is a hopeful life. A fruitful life is one that leaves a legacy. A fruitful life is one that changes the world. I spent last week about two hours with a group of young church planners, all in rural communities, from around the country and in the UK and in Scotland. And I listened to these guys talk. And I listened to their passion. And and I listened 
to their desire to leave a legacy in their small towns and how they were just praying for their communities and praying for people. Praying for fruit. Doing really hard, hard gospel ministry. They are desperate that God would bring fruit from their lives so people would get saved. And that's what Paul is saying here. Because there's fruit that comes from a gospel-centered life. And then in verse 11, it helps us to understand what fruit looks like, and we'll use that as our practical takeaway. So there is hope and strength and endurance when we live by the power of God. That's one of the, what fruit looks like, is we're living by the power of God, not our own power. If you think for a second that you can do eternal things through your power, then you don't understand the things of God. But if you believe that God can do anything, then you believe the promises of God. But you have to submit to Him in order to have that triggered. It's not triggered by more and more and more faith. It's not triggered by more and more talk and convincing. No. It's submission. We don't like submission. That's what, that's what it takes. So there's power. Secondly, there is hope for patience. Patience is a part of this. Patience is in short supply. Do you struggle at all with patience ever? No, you don't? That's great. You guys have this down. I'll go to the next one. Patience is hard. At least for me. I mean, I wasn't real patient yesterday. My kids will tell you that. They're sitting right here, and they're going like, yeah, like, yeah. You should have been at our house. Well, when you're getting 18 inches of snow in April, and you're stuck at home, then it is hard to be joyful, even though I'm, you know, a pastor, so I'm always joyful. No. But you know how it is. I mean, patience. You're 10 minutes late to church, and your car is a place of harmony, right? No patience needed? No, of course you need patience. Your husband calls, I'm going to be late again. Oh, patience. Your friends disappoint you. Patience. People keep asking you to do things. Patience. You're sitting at that light on 7 and 101, which is a curse. Patience. I never hit that light correctly, ever. It's a 10 minute out of my life that I need to pray. Instead of curse, the Minnesota Department of Transportation. Patience. And Wendy will tell you that I have patience down. Just ask her. No, she won't tell you that at all. I can't believe you're sitting there going like, oh, yeah, good. Pastor's got patience. Good. Let's move on. All right. So patience, strength. And then, and then out of all of this, there's hope for joy. You see how that all starts to fit together? There's hope for joy. Even in the hardships of life, when we have this knowledge of God that Paul is feeding into them of, a, of the inheritance of God's power and understanding God, then we can find joy. He wrote this to the Thessalonians, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Wow, I wish somebody would say that about me one day. Paul, you receive the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. That is how the gospel informs our lives. 
And the gospel is simply the good news of Jesus Christ. That his, in his broken body, he went to the cross and carried your sin there. And he was nailed there and died and paid for your sin and then rose again to defeat death for all time. So all those that follow him will live forever. The truth of that gospel message should transform and inform your life. And then all of these attributes will start to happen. And then in verse 12, Paul finishes the section by really tying a bow on it, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That's where Paul started. That's where Paul ends. A life empowered and informed by the gospel is one of gratitude. And so here again, he goes back to this idea of inheritance and being qualified through the work of Christ. And we're going to talk in a couple of weeks about what that actually looks like. But because of the work of Christ, we have been given this hope of our inheritance through Christ. But listen, the numbers that we had up here, they tell us that people don't have hope. And we know the key to hope. And so we need to give that key to those around us, to our city. Each one of us is a minister of the gospel in the sense that we as everyday Christians can go into our city and be in places that clergy can't be. And all God is asking you to do is just be you and then be transformed into his image so that you walk in a manner worthy of God and people are going to notice that and they're going to be intrigued. And I will say that if, you know, we all, we all love Minnesota, at least we did before Friday. We, we love Minnesota. We love our city. That's why we live here. Then I would just say, would you please pray that God will break your heart for our city? Because I'll guarantee you that God's heart is broken for our city. When, when we read statistics like this, God's heart is broken. And he's calling the church to action because we have hope. And we need to give that hope to others. That's why we're always pounding you with this idea of community groups, community groups, community groups. It's because we need to be together in this. So we're tied together by the word. We're tied together in relationships. And we're out there in the community talking to people and ushering the gospel to them together. Because I'll guarantee you, in the post-Christian culture, and I know you've heard that term, but it's true, and it is happening, and it's here, they're not going to wander into the church. So you can just try to do more and more attractional ministry. You can try to do a better song, better preaching, make the place look better. You can do all that, but they're not going to wander in here. We have to go to them with the hope. And that's where you come in. That's, where, that's what Paul's saying to these, these people in Colossae. He's saying, this is you. You can do this because you are full of faith and hope and love. And I see you being changed by the gospel. And so here's what I would say to you this morning. Endure. Stay strong. And remember that your future is not here. It's in heaven. And though the kingdom has arrived and is empowering you, this world is not your home. Your hope's not going to come from this world. Your hope's going to come from the gospel of Jesus Christ, from the good news of the gospel. 
from understanding who Jesus is. And so will you please just take a moment in silence and think this over? And, and just will you just pray and ask God to show you where there might be areas that you, you haven't given this over? That you haven't submitted? That you're still trying to make life work? And then maybe ask him if he would break your heart for our city. Let's just pray in silence for a moment. Oh God, thank you for hope. Thank you that our lives can be informed by this hope, transformed by this hope. Will you please, God, just incite us to bring this hope to the world and each of us to just live a life that is worthy of the calling so that we might be a light to those who need you desperately. And as we worship God, I just pray that you would help all of our lives, each one of us, to dedicate our lives to your glory. In the few years that we have here on this earth, that we will say, they're yours. May they glorify your name. May they speak of you. May they be in your manner. And may they reflect you to the world. God, will you please, as we sing now, hear these words that come deep from our heart and soul. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.